Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I'm Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It is our prayer that through this podcast, you'll hear our passion for people and the gospel, and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. The Christian faith can be difficult to understand at times. As believers begin to think deeper about our faith, questions may begin to arise. And questions are a good thing. They're indications that a person is loving God with all their mind. This series of sermons entitled Questions Christians Ask are responses to some questions I have periodically received. I pray these sermons will stir your thoughts and drive you closer to God. Now, let's begin our time today. We're going to be continuing in the series about the questions that people have given me about our faith and how does that play out in our lives. And the one that I want to respond to today has to do with prayer for a need and praising God through that need as we pray. And to do that, I want to look in 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. Some of you are very familiar with this passage, but it's worth going to again and looking at. And so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. And here's what Paul has to say today. It says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray over our passage this morning. God, I come to you and ask you to speak to us today. And I know that there are, I'm sure there is someone listening who has a pain, a difficulty, a hurt, a struggle a trial that they are going through today. And God, I pray that we would maybe learn today how to be equipped to walk through that. I pray that you would strengthen us through it and that your power would be on full display in our weaknesses. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We talk about, about prayer and pain and hurting I heard about a fifth grade boy who, who had heard a sermon on persistent prayer. And so he went home into his room and he was praying. And his dad walked by the room and he was praying Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. He was just praying for Tokyo. And the next day the dad came and said, well, son, what were you praying for? And he says, well, I had a test yesterday and I put the wrong answer for the capital of Mexico. And I was praying that Tokyo would become the capital of Mexico. Uh, you know, just praying, praying to make, to make Tokyo the capital of Mexico. Maybe you felt like your prayers are a little bit like that. Not praying that Tokyo is the capital of Mexico, 
But maybe you felt like when I am praying that it is as impossible for God to answer this prayer as it would be for Tokyo to become the capital of Mexico. I mean, maybe you felt that kind of impossibility, that, that weight of it's just not going to happen. And, you know, when we are called as believers to pray and to ask God to intervene, there's a lot of questions that come about with that. Like, how long should I pray? And, and what if I pray and nothing happens? And am I supposed to pray according to God's will? And, and how, how do I do that? And there's just lots of different questions about prayer. We pour our heart out to our Heavenly Father, and we wonder if He's listening, and we wonder how he'll answer, if He'll answer the way we want Him to answer. And, but the question I received about prayer that we're going to address today, it was, this was the question that was written out to me. How does one pray for a need while praising Jesus for all he does when the need seems overwhelming? And so I hear that tension in this question. You know, I don't know the source of the question. I don't know the circumstances which brought about that. I don't even know who, who asked it. But, but I, can, I can guess about the circumstance, right? I mean, we might have all been in the place where we are having a really, really heavy burden. And we are praying through that burden. And we are called to praise God at all times. And we say, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to do that. And so I'm going to attempt to respond to it, and I'm going to address the issue of pain first, and then I'm going to talk about praise after. And uh, things, as I was putting together this sermon, it was going really, really long. And so I'm not going to give the last part of your outline, the back part of your blue insert, um, I won't be sharing that today. I'll probably be sharing that at some other time in the future, but it's just the first side that we'll probably address today. And so as you look at the clock and you look at my preaching, you won't be going, he's not going to make it, you know. Um, it's okay. It, uh, I'll be okay. I mean, we'll all make it. So, um, so let's look at it. Um, when we look at the issue of trying to praise God in the middle of pain, we need to address the issue of pain. Because, because pain's real. And so when we look at this lesson, the first lesson that Paul teaches us, I believe, in 2 Corinthians 12, is that pain happens. Pain is real. Paul says here he was given a thorn in the flesh. And the word there for thorn is literally the word stake. Think tent stake, tent, a, a tent peg. Right, It is not the little thorn on the rose that you reach in and it kind of pricks your finger and you go, ow, you know, and kind of shake it off. This is a stake that has been driven into his life. And it has taken over. It was inconvenient. It was constant. It was big. It impacted every aspect of his life. And it hurt. Because that's what happens it was painful. The truth of the matter is, and not to bring us too far down today, but pain happens in this world. 
when we start thinking about praying about a painful need and not seeing relief, we need to first come to the understanding that everyone, everyone who lives experiences pain. We preach against the prosperity gospel here. We do not believe that God's going to make you healthy and wealthy just because you ask for it. We don't, we don't believe that if you just have enough faith that you will get better. We, we don't preach on that. But guys, there are too many times Christians who preach against the prosperity gospel live like they believe it. That somehow I'm sick and God doesn't want me sick, so I need to pray to not be sick. And, and it's okay to pray to, to not be sick. I'm just saying we think God's somehow punishing me or if I was just better, I wouldn't be sick or my loved one died or I'm having financial trouble or whatever it might be that it's some sort of punishment from God. We actually live like Hindus a lot of the times. We believe in karma when we shouldn't. We believe that if I do good, God will give me good. And if I do bad, God's going to give me bad. And that's, that's karma. And God isn't karma. <laughs> right? God gives us blessings. Unconditional blessings. Now Chris is going to preach in a few weeks about the problem of evil and, and all that. Why is there evil in the world? And he's going to answer all those questions for you. No pressure, Chris. But he's going to answer all those questions for you. But, um, but well, so I'm just going to just dance over that for a little bit. But we live like we believe that if we have enough faith, if we say the right prayer, if we spend the right amount of time in prayer, we do the exact right thing, we never do anything wrong, then God will never give us anything negative in our life. And that's simply not the truth. Again, that's, that would be a good Hindu, but we're not Hindus. We're believers in the living God. God never promised us that we would live in this world without any pain. In a world that's groaning under the weight of sin, where everything's impacted by sin, we are going to experience physical pain. We are going to experience depression. We're going to experience um, and, and battle learning difficulties, learning disabilities. We're going to work through physical handicaps and past emotional pain. I mean, I don't want to bring you down today. I really don't. And I'm going somewhere with this. But I want us to understand that the, that the foundational truth here is in this world is decay. And it is sinful. And people get sick and people die. And it's, it's, it's not pleasant, and I'm not saying just deal with it, but I am trying to make sure you understand that pain happens in this world. And you might say, yeah, Roland, you don't know the pain I've lived through, and I, that would be true. And I'd say, you don't know the pain I've lived through. But it's not a contest, right? The, the world wants us to have a contest of who is more of a victim than the other person. That's the world we live in right now. They want us to say we are victims, and it's a contest to see who is more injured and who's experienced more oppression and, and more pain in their life. But let's just acknowledge that it's not a contest, and in this body, we all have pain and suffering. 
And it's not to minimize anyone's suffering. Because all of it just stinks. It's terrible. We don't like it. Jesus does not promise a life without pain. In fact, Jesus promises pain. He says in John 6, 16.33, In the world you have tribulation. That's the last part of verse 33, but he says, look, but take courage, I have overcome the world. We are not victims, we are victors, right? We are not defined by our circumstances, we're defined by our Savior. So I'm going to move on. I don't, like I said, don't want to, you know, give you the nice, warm, fuzzy thought that says pain happens. I was thinking of the great theological movie, um, the, the Princess Bride, that said, uh, the guy says, uh, um, life is pain. Anyone telling you something is selling something. <laughs> you know, um, that, that, is, that is kind of the case. So I'm moving on, but we have to get away from the idea that because we are believers, that we will not have to live with pain. We cannot, in a world, again, that's grieving under sin, in a body that is full of sin, and my flesh desiring sin, and living among people who are also full of sin, be surprised when pain happens of any kind. It's the reality of this life. We have private pain, stakes that have been driven into our life, and the burden we bear that that beats us and kicks us when we're down and hurts us and makes us want to give up. But that pain hopefully makes us long for our real home, that there is something better than this world. And that's kind of the next aspect. Pain is a reality we all have to live with, but the good news, Paul tells us, is that pain has a purpose. He tells us what the reason he got this. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself that was given to me, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me, from exalting myself. Paul had an amazing relationship with the Lord. He, I mean, if we just start thinking about it, he had one of those testimonies we love to hear people tell that he was a sinner and a really bad sinner. He was a Pharisee and he was out there persecuting the church. He was killing Christians. He was, he was persecuting and imprisoning Christians. And then he had a very dramatic and powerful conversion. Walking on the lo- road to Damascus, he, he saw a light that blinded him. He heard a voice of Jesus Christ telling him, you will be changed. You're going to be my chosen vessel to, take, to go out to the Gentiles. And he was blind for three days. And then a man named Ananias came and and prayed for him. And miraculously, he was cured from his blindness. It's a great testimony. And then then he starts 
being used by God to take the gospel all over the world and becomes the recipient of the same persecution he gave. And he was in prison, and he was shipwrecked, and he was stoned, and he was, I mean, it was just a great testimony. And then in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, it says he had visions. He had these great visions, visions of heaven where he said he went up to paradise and he saw what heaven's like and he heard voices that he couldn't even tell what it was like. I mean, this is an amazing testimony. I mean, it would be very easy for someone to have all that, to lay in bed at night and think, man, God must think I am really good, <laughs> right? Look, I mean, he's working through me in a way that he hasn't worked through anyone else ever. I must be very special in God's plan. Um, I'm quite the guy. I'm sure he struggled with thinking because pride is insidious. It creeps in and it destroys everything in the spiritual world. It, it creeps into our lives, but there is no room in the kingdom of God for ego and the glory of God. They both don't fit. It's one or the other. And so, God's work was too important and is too important to let our egos go hog wild. And Paul said this stake came into his life through Satan, but God used it for God's glory to make sure Paul was humbled. This doesn't mean God beat him down and stepped on his neck and forced Paul to serve him, but it was the idea that when we are in pain, when we have pain in our lives, there is a point where we say, I cannot do this. I can't do it any longer on my own. And it turns us to God. When we say, God I, I can't do it. And so there is a time where that happened. Now, I don't have the time to do a study on how God uses those who are humble, who get to the point where say, I, I cannot do this anymore on my own. I need God. But it's summed up in James 4, 6 that says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6. And there's other reasons God may allow pain to come into our lives. The God, I mean, where Satan might bring pain into our lives and, and God uses that for his glory. The scripture says he can use pain and trials and struggles to mature us spiritually. He can use it to discipline us. He can use pain to direct us and guide us. There's lots of different reasons, but I think we can boil them down to the fact that pain humbles us and turns us to God and God alone, where we say, I, I can't do it any longer. Pain has a purpose. Pain happens in this world. Pain has a purpose, and, and because God is a good God, Paul tells us that Pain has power. It says that he, I implored the Lord three times that it might lead me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power 
is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, there is power in pain. We read here that Paul prayed three times. And this doesn't mean that he prayed for 10 seconds one day, and then the next day he thought about it again and prayed for 10 seconds and, and you know, did that for three days and said, well, I guess God's not answering. I believe this is three seasons of prayer, whatever that might look like. I think it points back to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying three times, sweating drops of blood. I mean, he is so stressed, he breaks the corpuscles in his forehead, and blood is coming out of Jesus's uh, uh, forehead, praying, God, remove this from me. He earnestly sought God in prayer, Paul did, to remove this stake, and we cannot miss this. God's answer was no. God's answer, when he said, God, I want this stake removed from my life, God said, my grace is sufficient, which is a fancy way for God to say no, right? It is God saying, you don't need the pain removed, you need my grace. And that's hard to hear when we have a stake in our life that we need removed. He did not remove the stake from his life Instead, God says, I'm going to use this stake to show my power in you. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. He says, my grace is all you need. My grace is enough because power is displayed when you're weak. The, the word perfected here in, in verse 9, it, it's based in the same root word that when Jesus was dying on the cross and his last word was it is finished it was it was a word that meant paid in full it was it was complete the the payment was done and the word perfected here is based in the same word and it, it has the idea of completion or fulfilled or accomplished. And in 2 Corinthians, you could translate it, it was made fully present. And he's saying this, the pain that we experience in this life, the trial you're walking through right now, is the vehicle by which God's grace is most fully displayed in your life. Not only to you, but to others. Jesus' power is on full display. When we are humbled through pain, we turn to God in our pain, and we lean and trust in his grace, not to remove the pain, but to walk through it. And God's, Jesus says here that his power is on full display for others when we do that. And so look at Paul's response. He says, if Jesus' power is best displayed when we are humbled through the pain in this life, if people can see Jesus best in us and see his power, or to use our mission statement, if people 
best, it's the best way for people to come face to face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Paul says, let's do that. He says, I'm not going to boast about my knowledge of scriptures that I gained when I was a Pharisee. In fact, in another place in scripture, he says, I could boast about that, but I'm not going to. He's not going to boast about his genealogy and, and the great lineage he came up in Jewish, a Jewish lineage. He says, I could brag about that, but I'm not going to. He could brag about the stuff that he did for Christ and how he was stoned for Christ. He, he says, uh, or, or, or how he saw Christ on the road. He had this, this, this experience. He's not going to brag that he was saved in this very unique way and heard Jesus himself. He wasn't going to brag and boast that he saw visions of heaven. He says, what I'm going to brag about is that Christ's power is, is going to be displayed in me best in my weakness. I'm going to brag about my weaknesses. That's a change. We hear about our weaknesses a lot of different times, don't we? I know I talk about my weaknesses a lot, but it's more like, I hurt, and you should feel bad for me because I hurt, right? I'm in pain. I hurt this. This person said this mean thing to me. There's all kinds of things that I talk about my pain, but I'm not boasting about it. I'm complaining about it. But Paul says, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses in verse 9, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. There is power in pain. It's his weakness, his pain, his stake that has been driven into his life that allows Jesus' power to be seen more clearly by other people than anything else in his life. And that is a powerful lesson, guys, but it is a hard lesson. It is easier to preach than live, I'll tell you that. But it's what Paul teaches us. Our pain has power. You know, I'm not minimizing pain because the stuff that people go through, I get to talk with a lot of different people and they are dealing with stuff and part of me says, I don't know how they are doing it and I know it's Christ in them if they're believers. I have unbelievers who come into my office sometimes and, and pour out their heart to me and I don't know how they're doing it and I say, man, I don't know the answer to your problem, but I know you need Jesus because uh, you can't, I don't know how they're living life without it. It's not a small thing, and it's always difficult to walk through pain. But God gets our attention and then powerfully works through us through our pain. C.S. Lewis wrote, wrote in his book, The Problem of Pain. He said this, we can rest contently in our sins and in our stupidities. And everyone who's watched gluttons shovel down the most exquisite foods as if they didn't know what they were eating will admit that we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciousness, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. 
C.S. Lewis says, pain is God's megaphone to get our attention. He uses our pain to get our attention, to humble us, to make us into what he wants us to be. Again, I want to make sure you hear me. This was a messenger of Satan to torment him, and God says, I'm going to use what Satan brought for my glory. And he will do that. It is through our pain that Jesus' power is clearly demonstrated to a watching world. He said his power is made perfect in our weakness. And Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Speaking about Christ in me. And so God wants to use whatever pain you're in right now to display an incredible power of Christ to the world. And it is hard to get our minds off of us in our pain. It is hard to think in this pain, boy, I hope God uses this so that others will come to know him, so others will see Christ in me. But that is the lesson Paul teaches us. And so when we have to live with the reality of pain and God doesn't guarantee the removal of that pain from us, how do we do then what the Scripture tells us to do? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it, rejoice, right? It's like, Paul, what are you doing to me, you know? Consider it all joy, James says, when you encounter various trials, In different places, exalt in our tribulations, knowing that our tribulation brings perseverance. Another place, to the degree that your share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. And on and on, Scripture tells us to do that. How do we do that? The answer is that we allow God's grace to rest upon us. But, but what are some practical things that we can do? We do it, you know, in the strength of Jesus. And I have a few things that might help. I have four basic things. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not a cure-all. It's not a magic bullet that's going to take away your pain. But perhaps through these things, you find more, and God can work through these. So if we're going to praise God always, if we're going to consider it joy when we encounter various trials, maybe these will help. And the first thing I'd suggest is first we just simply remember Christ. Remember Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9, it says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. Paul suffered. He suffered here in a Roman jail, which wasn't the, you know, uh, some sort of minimum security. I mean, it was a Roman jail. He was in there, and he was in a bad way. But he was praising God in prison because he remembered that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That means what this world offers isn't it. It's not the final answer. There is more out there than this, that there is a day where pain is going to be removed. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as as king of your life, then there will be a day when your pain is removed. 
Now, I should have got a little bit more of an amen even with the small crowd here, but there's going to be a day where our pain is, is gone, that physical pain will be like a, a distant dream that you can't even quite remember. Like, I remember, you know that dream you wake up and you're like, I kind of had this dream and I, I have a faint memory of what it is. One day, that's going to be this life, that we'll be in eternity and we'll be like, I remember that I thought I was in pain, but I can't hardly remember it. Because the glory of God will be so much greater. Our physical handicap will no longer exist, and your emotional pain and your depression, your trials, your suffering, the struggle in this life will be done and healed, and, and, and you'll have perfect peace in the Savior. Revelations 21, 4, 4 5 says this, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he says, Right, and I love this, for these words are faithful and true. It's going to happen. No matter what's going on in this world, no matter the pain you're walking through, if you have Christ Jesus as king of your life, you've surrendered your life over to him, trusting in him for your salvation, you'll be delivered and you'll have eternal bliss. And Paul says, this will not be up on the screen, but Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.4, you can look a little bit further down where we're at in our scripture, and it says, for indeed he was crucified because of our weaknesses. Yet he lives because the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because the power of God directed toward you. So how do I praise God in my pain? I remember Jesus Christ. He died. He prayed in the garden three times, and God told him no. Right? He prayed, God, if this cup could be passed from me, that's what I would like. I do not want to go to the cross. I mean, that's really what he was praying. But he said, not what I want, not my will, but your will. And what happened? He went to the cross and he died. And in that crucifixion, because of, his, because of that weakness... God gave him power to live forevermore. And just like that, we have weakness now, but we remember Jesus Christ died and rose again. And if he died and rose again, that means we have that hope as well. So the first suggestion I would say is remember Christ. Remember this world isn't all there is. Second thing I would say is spend time in the Psalms. Take your Bible and open it right to the middle and just start reading right? The middle of your Bible is the Psalms. There's 150 of them. The Puritans called the Psalms the medicine chest for the soul. It's good for what ails you, is what it says. Um, if you read the Psalms, you will find a balm for your, for your soul. I mean, the Word of God is good. 
It is, but the Psalms are about real life. You hear people crying out to God, God, why are you not listening to me? My enemies are hunting me down. I'm in pain. I feel like you have abandoned me, but I know who you are, and I trust your word, and I know you are going to be faithful. You could read Psalm 42. When this, when this soul, he says, when this soul thirsts for God, when all he could do was cry day and night, it says in Psalm 42, and when others were saying, where's this God you talk so much about? Where is he at? I don't see him. You're still in your pain and your trial. The psalmist says, I am still going to praise you. And he says in Psalm 42, 5, you could, you could look that up. Again, it's not going to be on the screen. That's my fault. I didn't. I added some later. It says, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? He's, he's having this internal discussion with his heart and his soul. And he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Psalm 34 was written when David was running for his life, and he, um, in order to get out of the situation alive, he had to act crazy in front of King Abimelech. And he says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Does that break... That describe you today, the brokenhearted, the crushed in spirit. It says the Lord is near to them. And we know that if we've trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He is there with us. His presence is always there. When you read Psalm 102, you know, we normally do not read the little header that's in the psalm, but those are inspired by God if they are in there. It will say a psalm of Asap or whatever. And this is what Psalm 102 says, the header of Psalm 102, a prayer of the afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Does that sound like any time in your life? And then he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Anyone feel overwhelmed? Want to pour out your complaint to the Lord? Do you think Psalm 102 might speak to you? The Psalms hit us right where we live. And through tough times, it, it it can help to spend time in the Psalms. Again, any part of the Word. I'm not saying it's better than any other part of the Word because it's God's Word and God will work through it. But man, there is something about real life that we find in those 150 chapters. Perhaps that's why there's 150 of them, right? You know, you could, you could read, if my math is right, five a day every month and then start again every month. You know, it's... Uh, there, is, there is a lot there. Remember Christ. Spend time in the psalm. The third thing I would say is to sing songs. Man, there is nothing more difficult than singing songs when you're in pain. I get that. Proverbs 25.20. 20. Again, not on the screen, but you can write it down. Proverbs 25.20. 20. It says, Like the one who takes off a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. You know you've been in pain. Anyone ever been this? You've been in pain and someone comes up and just says, oh, 
just sing, joy to the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You just want to sock them, you know, you're just like, I, I got something for you, you know. Um, I'm not saying sing to other people when they're in pain. I'm saying let your heart sing, your own heart. That in the middle of it, in the middle of your pain, you decide, I am going to sing a praise to God, no matter how difficult it is. Sing in your heart, sing out loud, read it. You know, the Psalms were actually written to be sung. They were, they were sung in worship. And maybe Psalm 142 might resonate with you. It says, look to the right and see, in verses four through seven. For there is no one who regards me, and there's no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. Anyone ever been there emotionally? It says in five, I cried out to you, O Lord, and said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Give heed to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. I mean, it's just maybe just taking that and, and reading it or singing it. Maybe you know hymns real well, and you might know a hymn like, It is well with my soul, when, that says, when, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when things are going really good, when sorrows like sea billows roll, when, when I've got nothing but sorrows, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Maybe you could sing that. Maybe you know more of the current songs. Casting Crown sings, I'll praise you in this storm. I'll praise you in this storm and I will lift my hands for you are who you are no matter where I am. And every tear I cried, you hold in your hand, you never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I'll praise you in this storm. You know, singing songs just refocus our heart. And, it, and it's a real, it, there's a tie with singing and emotion. There just is. And, and we start refocusing on understanding the situation at hand. You know, Paul and Silas, they were in jail and they were, didn't know what their fate was going to be. They didn't know how the, the next day was going to go. It was really not a great time, but in Psalm 1625, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and look what it says, singing hymns of praise to God, locked up in a Roman jail, and they're like, Okay, you do, the, you do the alto and I'll do the melody. And let's just sing together and have this great harmony going on. Or maybe they couldn't carry a tune at all. I don't know if Paul could sing or not. So it might have just been two guys bellowing out off key. But it says this, and the prisoners were listening to them. Who's listening to you? In the middle of your pain when you sing. And suddenly it says, and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. 
You think those prisoners thought there was anything connected with what God was doing in the prison and their praise in the middle of being imprisoned? How do I praise God when my need seems so desperate and big? I remember Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that means if I trust in him, I will too. It means spending time in the Psalms, maybe singing some songs. And the last suggestion I give today, it's kind of all of them summed up together. It's simply choose to praise. Just choose to praise him. Praising God is not a feeling. It, it's not, I mean, Scripture doesn't suggest that we praise God when we feel good. The Word of God commands us to praise God always. Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. That's the end of the thought. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Not when I feel like praising him, not when things are going well, but continually. In fact, we're told even when things are not going well, we need to be praising God. It says in Habakkuk 3, look at these verses. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fall, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Man, this guy's having a rough, this farmer is having a rough time, right? There is nothing going well for him. In 18 it says, Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk in the high places. Man, when things are not going well, when circumstances change, when circumstances change where, where the, the, the fig tree that's supposed to bloom is not blooming, or there's cows used to be in the stall and now there's no cows in the stall, our fruitful fields, they were very fruitful, but now they're producing nothing. Everything in life changes. Last month we were healthy, and maybe now we're not. Last year our country looked like it was going one way, and now it looks like it might be going another direction. Yesterday my friend did not hurt me. Today I've been wounded by a precious friend. Everything in this life changes, but God is always the same. He is unchanged, and he is sovereign. And throughout Scripture, we find that people just simply choose to praise him. And so turning again to the soul's medicine in the Psalms, it says in Psalm 42, which, by the way, Psalm 42 has this refrain. It, it has this chorus that's said over and over again. We read it, and I read it in verse 5, but it says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? When we're in pain, we have the despair and our souls are disturbed. And he says, why is this going on if God is solid and God is sovereign? He's not changed. Hope in God, he tells his soul. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And seven, Psalm 71, 14, but as for me, I will, I will hope continually and, and will praise you yet more and more. 
remembering Christ, spending time in the Psalms, singing Psalms, and just simply choosing to praise. These are not magic bullets. They're not going to take your pain in, away from you unless it's what God, God wants. I know what it's like to pray for a thing, to sincerely cry out on an issue, hear nothing but silence, knowing that if the silence means I've got to live with this pain. But that's what our Savior did as well. Philip Yancey wrote an article for Christianity Today a long time ago, and in it he simply said this, when Jesus prayed to the one who could save him from death, he did not get that salvation He got instead the salvation of the world. And so if you're in pain today, whatever whatever pain it is, I hope you know, first of all, your church family is in pain with you. We we hurt when everyone's hurting. Rejoice when, when others are rejoicing. But, you know, share that with somebody. If you're in pain, if you're hurt, then let someone know and, and let us pray with you and for you. And if your faith is shaken, if you're, if you're tempted to run from God and forget the word and try to go on your own, I'm, I'm telling you, it will not get better if you're out on your own. <laughs> Life is better with, with Christ in the center. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through this. There is, you know, remember that through Christ there is hope. Spend some time in the Psalms. Maybe, maybe today that's what God is telling you today. That why don't you just spend some time with me opening the book of Psalms and reading through that. Maybe you just simply need to make the hard choice to sing a song in your heart. It just shifts our thinking about it. Or we just make the hard choice to praise God no matter what. You know, you might not be able to praise Him for much other than, I'm awake this morning. And maybe you're not even praising Him for that. But you can, but you can praise Him for life, for the goodness He has given us for salvation. You know, how would God want you to respond. God, as we come to you, we want to acknowledge that, yes, we live in a world of pain, of sin, and sin makes things ugly and painful and hurtful. And I thank you that you sent Jesus to restore us to you so that one day we would not have to deal with it any longer. But regardless of what people on TV tell us, some of the televangelists on TV, we do live in pain while we live in this world. And some have more than they, they, they can handle. And it's almost like that's what you intend. That while Satan may drive a stake into our life, into our soul, you use that for your glory so that we will be humbled and turn us to you. And so God, if there's anyone here today just struggling, and today maybe 
they have recognized they are trying to do this on their own. I just pray they turn to you today. And acknowledge, I can't live in this world without you. I can't deal with the pain, the trial I'm going through, the hurt that I feel. I need you to heal it. Or at least walk me through it. God, if there's someone here just who needed the encouragement today to remember that you in the middle of the need. I pray they find the encouragement in your presence. They turn to your word and find encouragement through the songs that we sing, through the salvation that Christ provides. God, help us all just to be better, be better at praising you what, that your praise will be continually on our mouth, and in our hearts, we'll continually just praise you. God, right now, work in our lives, and get, again, for those who are hurting and just want relief, God, we ask your will. display your power in that person so that they could, so they and others could see your powerful work in their life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 10.45 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.